0: So tonight, we continue our study of the book of Exodus. Aren't these graphics so cool? Chad is so good at that stuff. I look at this stuff and I'm like, how does he do that and teach? And he's so talented. But yeah, this is pretty amazing. I just wanna blow this up and put this in my house. (laughs) Um, It's so cool. So you know what we're studying and you know who we're studying. We've been talking about a man, and tonight we're gonna be talking about a man I think we all know, yeah? A man rescued out of the water, right? Y'all are responsive, I like that. (laughs) A man who was rescued out of that water because of an attempt on his life, right? A man who woke up as an adult one day and had a total Identity crisis. Had no idea who he was or what his purpose was. I think you know his name. Let's all say his name together. Moses. No, Jason Bourne. Yeah. This song. We talked about Jason Bourne this evening. A little bit before we get to Moses, who's coming after. I just had to mess with y'all because of spring break. Yay! All right, so Jason Bourne. But for real though, if you start to think a little bit about Jason Bourne, anybody seen every one of the movies? Okay, so you know, so you know. And when I was like, you know his name, now y'all are like, oh, I see what she did. Mm -hmm. So Jason Bourne is a man who has an identity crisis, right? Right? And he was a man pursued and hunted down. And he goes through this period of time, a big period of time in his life where he is like really searching for some answers. He wakes up and has this amazing skill set, language stuff going on. Like he is a bad mamma jamma and can kick your bootay. Like he's got it going on. And he's like passionate, you know? So he's a guy that has a past. He knows there's something going on back there that he is like pursuing the knowledge and the insight on what was before. And now he's a man with a problem because there's a bad guy and he's trying to figure out what is going on and why is this in my way? And he's got this passion. He's like, he wants to see justice done, right? This is Moses. Same kind of thing going on. He's a man that has had a past He's a man that has a very big problem in Pharaoh who is like pursuing and punishing and treating very harshly his people and he has this passion to do something about it. He has this call on his life, but it's not time yet. Anybody feel me when I say, got this passion in your life, but it's not time yet? Oh, that is hard. That is hard. It's gonna to happen to us all our lives. I'm so pumped about that. I know you are too. So, Moses and Jason Bourne have a lot in common, okay? And we're gonna talk about Jason again later. I just wanted to, you know, show you the insights that happen at my house when I'm preparing to teach you. And so, we'll come back to Jason later, but I wanna talk a little bit about Moses and his problems and his identity crisis. So, we're going to look first at We're still in Exodus chapter two. At the very end of Exodus chapter two, if you brought your your Bible, we see he's all grown up now. We're starting in verse 11. He's not this beautiful little baby anymore. Now he's a man. And um, Stephen in Acts chapter seven tells the story of Moses and he talks about how Moses was raised up in the household of Pharaoh's daughter. So he was raised with privilege, with power, with education, great wealth, like, he basically had all the stuff that you and I are like, why would he ever leave, you know? He had security forever, okay? He was with the people in charge. He didn't have to be concerned, but he had a little bit of an identity thing going on. He's like, I don't really feel like this is, there's something missing here. And so when we find him, when we start to read about his story, it says he was raised and he was a man of power and wisdom and words. That's what Stephen says about him. But it came into his mind, Stephen says, to go out among his people. See, Moses knew he wasn't an Egyptian. He did not look like an Egyptian. He dressed like an Egyptian. He had all the style and all of the dress of an Egyptian, but he didn't look like an Egyptian. I mean, he didn't look like, you know, he looked like a Hebrew. Because that's what he was. And he had a relationship, we'll find out, in a few chapters, we'll find out he had a relationship with his biological sister and brother, Aaron and Miriam. So he knew where he came from. And for whatever reason, even though he had everything he could have ever wanted in this worldly kind of sense, something was still missing. Some of you know what that feels like. I know I do. So he left the wealth, he left the power, he left the privilege, and he went out to see what was going on with his people. Maybe I belong here, y'all ever seen that book when you were a kid, Are You My Mother? (laughs) Are you my people, are you my people? So he leaves the palace and he goes out and he's like looking at what's going on with his people. Some bad stuff going on with his people, right? Let's look in verse 11, there's kind of a little description of what happens to him as he begins to immerse himself in the culture of his own. It says, now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and he looked on their hard labors and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and he looked that way and when he saw there was no one around he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Now you see he's like Jason Bourne. He don't play. Interesting stuff going on here because you know he he very clearly has made a choice that these are his people. You see that? Two times. Moses says, "His brethren, my brethren." He had already made a choice that he belonged with them. He had already made a choice that he had loyalty to them, and it really Lit him on fire when he saw somebody messing with one of his own. And Moses, what we'll find, I love that it uses this word strike. Because what we're going to figure out about Moses is that when he feels trapped, when he doesn't know what to do, when he feels frustrated, Moses in the flesh wants to hit something. That's what he does, he gets mad. I can totally identify, I'm totally like that. When things aren't going my way and nobody is doing something about it, I get very angry. I wanna hit things I don't. I don't know what your go-to thing is. Maybe some of you withdraw when things don't go your way. You take your ball and you go home. I'm not gonna play with you anymore, I'm just gonna leave, you know? Isolation, maybe that's your thing. Maybe you a crier, I don't know. But Moses' thing is that he strikes. You're gonna see it again later on in the book. He's gonna feel frustrated, and he's gonna strike something, and God's gonna be like, oh no, Moses, we've been there. We don't do that anymore. (laughs) It's it's gonna cost him every time. When you act out in frustration, when you act before you have a plan, when you act outside of God's direction, even if you feel like it's a really good cause, a lot of times it's gonna get you in trouble. And it got Moses in trouble. But although, even though it wasn't like necessarily a great decision, we see that there's some great character coming out of him. He's realizing some stuff about himself. You know, not too long ago, we listened to a fabulous message that indicated that our passion and our, frust- or our frustration, rather, the things that anger us can really indicate what our passion and calling are in life. So if you get fired up about something, hey, maybe instead of like hitting something, maybe just stop and be like, okay, Lord, thank you. You're, you're revealing something about my call to me. You're revealing something about who I am and what I was created to do. I'm supposed to be part of this solution here because this is really bothering me and I wanna do something about it. And it looks a lot like Moses was like being sneaky, like looking this way and that way. And he probably was because it says that he hid him in the sand, although he couldn't have hit him too well because they found the guy the next day. I'm like, dig a deeper hole, buddy. Like, what in the world? But he looked this way and that way and it says he saw no one around. And I think he was just so frustrated because he was looking, is anybody going to do anything here? And when nobody else was willing to step up, he stepped up. And that's a good quality. He was willing to do something about his convictions. He wasn't just somebody that was willing to grumble about it or complain about it or just watch it happen and do nothing helplessly. He was a strong guy and he was willing to use his skill set and his strength to do something about it. It was just outside of God's timing and outside of God's. Direction for him. So see, he's got he's got the components, he's got the makings of greatness, loyalty, calling, passion, ready to go, ready to use it for the benefit of his people. He's awesome. Awesome guy. Let's look, we're gonna see something else about his character. Verse 13, it's it's this is the next day, as if that weren't enough self-revelation. The next day he went out, and behold, to Hebrews. We're fighting with each other. Now these are two of his people, same people, not Egyptian and Hebrew, now Hebrew and Hebrew, fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, why are you striking your companion? You're supposed to be brothers. That's what Stephen tells us in Acts 7 when he retells the story. He says, you're supposed to be brothers. Why are you acting this way? Verse 14, but he said, who are you? Who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed that Egyptian? Uh oh. Then Moses was afraid and said, surely the matter has become known. And it had become known because the next verse says, when Pharaoh heard of the matter, he tried to kill Moses. So oh no. Well now we see something else that really bugs Moses, another indication of who he is. He really has a passion to see his people unified. And he wants to step in and be a mediator for them. He wants to help. You see this like longing to lead, like if nobody else is gonna do this for you, I'm ready to step in and help you. We shouldn't be treating each other like this. And they look at him and they're like, we, you look an awful lot like the person who's persecuting us. Who are you? Don't you live in the palace? Get out of here with that. We don't need you. So the very people that he went and began to identify himself with now are like, Heisman, you know, bye, you know. (laughs) No, thank you. We're okay. We don't really need your help. So now poor Moses is like, now I got to leave like the land because, you know, Pharaoh now is seeking his life because he's done this thing for good reason, not quite the right way but we've learned so much about Moses and just this little passage and just these little things that happen to him. But now see, now what's happened is he spent the first 40 years of his life in royalty, with royalty, with all this privilege and prestige and power and right now that is ending. The the season is over. He's being pursued and so now he has to flee and he's basically going to literally the polar opposite of where he's been. He's going to Midian. It says that when he fled, he went to the land of Midian and sat down by a well. Midian is like the desert, you know. Not a lot going on, not a hub of like education and intellect and like culture. No, there's a lot of like shepherds out there and a lot of animals, you know, and it's very hot. And there's a lot of walking, you know. Not a lot of entertainment, (laughs) things going on. Kind of the dynamic opposite. And it's interesting, you know, he went to a well because all of the roads would have led to that spot, right? So it's kind of like when you're going to Brenham and you stop at Bucky's. The Bucky's is the well of the Old Testament, you know. <laughs> Thank you, Michael Tadlock. I'll give you credit. He was like, eh? I was like, I'm totally ripping that off. It's great. So he's at this Bucky's, at this well, where any, everybody would have been coming by that was coming through because they needed water, because we were in the, the desert, right? So just lots of different people. And it's so interesting. I love what the Lord does. Because he takes all this passion and all this ability and even though it seems like a door is closing and he's moving farther and further away from his goal, what's actually happening is that now God's gonna give Moses this little safe space to work on his gift. So now he's going to have an opportunity to, to kind of show himself again, to kind of exhibit his character again in this atmosphere away from Pharaoh, away from his people. Verse sixteen, the, the scripture says, Now when the priest of Midian, the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to Ruel, their father, he said, why have you come back so soon today? Like you got your work done pretty fast, girls. So they said, an Egyptian, notice that, he looks like an Egyptian, an Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and what's more, he even drew the water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his fathers, where is he then? Why is it that you've left this man behind? Invite him to have something to eat. We need to say thank you, girls. Where's your manners, right? So Moses, it says, was willing to dwell with the man. And he gave his daughter, Zipporah, to Moses. Her name means little bird. We're gonna find out there's not very much truth to that name. She's not a little, sweet little bird. She's got some venom. <laughs> She's high maintenance is a way of saying it. Then she gave birth to a son, and he named him Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Okay, so now this is where Moses is gonna spend the second 40 years of his life. 40 years of privilege, 40 years of not so much privilege. Now he's kicking it with not kings, but priests. Kind of interesting if you think about what's ahead for him. He's also gonna learn how to become a shepherd He's gonna go from great wealth to great poverty. We're gonna see him, now he doesn't even own anything. For 40 years, he's not even gonna own one sheep. He's gonna be hanging out with Jethro, or Ruel, as he's called here, his father-in-law's sheep. All the while, he feels called to home. He feels like there's something missing, and we can see that even in that second 40 years of his life, as he's away from where he wants to be, he's still longing for home because he calls his son, I am a stranger here. It's an indication of his own mindset in this season of his life, like, "I have stuff I want to be doing back home, and I'm here. I, I am becoming a father. I am safe. you know, things are OK, but I, I, this is not home to me. Anybody ever been in a season in your life where you're like, "This is not my final destination?" This is not where I want to be. This is not satisfying. This is hard. I'm longing for something else. I'm hungry for more. I want greatness. I don't want the wilderness. I'm equipped for that job. I could do it. Nobody else was doing it. Why am I out here in the desert? I'm awesome. I ever felt that way before? Why am I not getting that job? Why am I not being able to step into this season in my life? Why hasn't anyone chosen me? Why doesn't anyone see me this way? What is my purpose here? What is the purpose in being so far away from where my heart longs to be? For 40 years, you think that dude didn't wander around the desert and wonder if he had all made it up in his head? Think he didn't doubt? himself think he didn't doubt the lord like do you really know what you're doing lord because we're all just still suffering here and i was willing to do something about it where are you do you think he felt abandoned in that time not a whole lot to keep him busy from thinking about that stuff in the wilderness i can totally relate but you know it's interesting because while all this is happening, while all this frustrating stuff is happening and he feels like his life like has had the spiritual pause button hit on it, we see these two little verses in verse 23. It says, now it came about in the course of many days that the king of Egypt died. The one that was pursuing him died. And the sons of Israel sighed, like groaned because of their bondage and they cried out for their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. This Pharaoh died and they were like, maybe the next one will be nicer, but it got worse. But it says God saw the sons of Israel and he took notice of them. He remembered the covenant that he had made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob He had not forgotten about what was going on. And two things kinda stood out to me as I read, I'm like, why is that in there? Sometimes I'm like, when there's like like a little sidetrack scripture, like, well, why did we have to know, oh, meanwhile, back home, you know, like, what's that all about, right? And then it kind of hit me. You know, what we see here is that God supernaturally kinda orchestrated these circumstances where Moses, like, left the building, right? He's out there in the middle of nowhere, right? Meanwhile, at home, it's worse, Did you catch that? See how sometimes God will take you out into the wilderness where you don't wanna be because he's sparing you from something that's about to be horrible? It's happened to me in my own life. I've seen it happen, it's incredible. You're so frustrated because you're like, why didn't this happen, why didn't this happen, why didn't this happen, why didn't this happen? You're crying about it and you're digging your heels in and you're mad about it and then you realize, oh my goodness, if God had allowed me to go down that road, I would've been suffering, it would've been terrible. Moses doesn't know this, but God knows this because he had his eye on everyone. He was protecting him. So, if you find yourself in the wilderness, if you find yourself in a place you don't want to be doing stuff you don't want to do and feeling like the pause button has been hit on your life, let me assure you, I'm betting that God is protecting you from something. That if he said yes to this, you know, it says he withholds no good from the righteous. So, if he's not saying yes to this, then it must mean that if he gave it to you, it'd be bad for you. I believe those words. And here we show them to be true because if Moses had been back home, not only would he have been dead, but also persecuted more. Bad situation, execution, more suffering. No hope for the future because the deliverer would have been gone, right? God knows what he's doing when he pulls us out into the wilderness alone. He knows what he's doing. Second thing I notice. When Moses first brought himself in up in the scene, like, hey, let me help you. I'll pay the rent, right? You'll know that. Did your parents tell you that little thing? Pay the rent, pay the rent. No? Okay. Later. Okay. (laughs) Later. Sidebar. When he stepped in, when he inserted himself and said, I will be, I will help you. I will be a part of the solution. What was their response? No, thank you. Right? Now these people have gotten into such a state that there is absolutely, they're like, God, you are literally our only hope. You have got to intervene here. So you better believe that when Moses walks in and says, hey, by the way, boys, I am sent me, they're gonna be like, thank you, come on, Moses. He's gonna get the like royal welcome because they need something so bad, they don't care if it's Moses now. See, sometimes God hasn't released you into the thing because the person that he's getting ready to release you to isn't ready yet. Sometimes that's a relationship. Sometimes that's a job. Sometimes that's a ministry. But until the people that are getting ready to receive your giftings are ready to receive your giftings, you're not going. Sometimes they have to pray for you. It's not about anything you're doing wrong. Sometimes he's just readying the people to receive the gifting that you are gonna be. So stop being like, oh, what am I doing wrong, Lord? No, Maybe you just pray like, Lord, get him ready. This husband is taking too long, get him ready, okay? Get him ready. That's what I prayed. 29 years I waited, okay? He was ready when I got him, okay? Yes, praise indeed. (laughs) He was ready. I dated a lot of people that weren't ready, though. (laughs) I needed a strong guy to deal with all my crazy. But just remember that. Sometimes in the wilderness, when you're in the wilderness, God is protecting you or God is preparing you. Or someone else. Okay, we don't like isolation, we don't like discomfort, we don't like waiting, we certainly don't like suffering. Oh Lord, please keep it far from me, right? But the thing is, sometimes when we're out there in the wilderness by ourselves being humbled and remembering that oh, maybe we're not all that after all, sometimes that's where we meet the Lord for real. Sometimes in the suffering, that's where we meet the Lord for real. Sometimes in the waiting, that's where we meet the Lord for real. Sometimes in not getting our way, and we realize he's the only answer. He's the last resort a lot of the time. But he's like, I've been the answer the whole time. Thank you for finally getting here. I'm, I'm glad I had to bring you out into the middle of nowhere to figure this out. Because see, in the wilderness, it gets really quiet because there's less distractions and there's less, you've, you've exhausted everything that you can possibly do and now you realize I can't do anything. And he's like, hey, I've been waiting for you. right? and that's exactly what's about to happen to Moses. He's been so amped up, so on fire, so passionate, so burdened by this problem that's going on, and now he's basically been prepared with patience, with humility, and with shepherding skills, wilderness navigation skills for 40 years, and now, as he realizes, maybe he's just not all that in a bag of chips, okay? Maybe, in that moment, when he gets to that posture, that's when the Lord can meet him. That's when he's ready to meet the Lord, who's been there all along. And that's where we find chapter three. It says in verse one of chapter three, now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Again, not even his flock of sheep. And he led the flock behind the side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire in the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. Why this bush is not burned up? The angel of the standing in front of you, and you're like, oh, look, this bush is so cool. This stuff happens all the time, okay? Like, the Lord is standing like, hello, I am in this, okay? And we're like, oh, this is cool, this little small thing, right? I just know he is, like, all the time, like, Come on. But he was still figuring it out, right? He's looking at this, you know, and we're not talking about, I know, sometimes we see like shows or whatever and we see depictions. Like the bushes in the wilderness, I mean, they're not like humongous, okay? They're little. This bush is little, And it wouldn't have taken very long in desert heat for a fire to burn it up. And this guy has nothing going on all day long. So when he's walking miles and miles and miles with a bunch of stinky sheep, and it's like fascinating, like, ooh, fire, okay, right? And he looks, and like the fire that should normally be like, whew, basically just keeps on going, just keeps on burning. It doesn't get any smaller. It's just still there. And so he's like, why is that the way that it is? That makes me think about myself. You know, sometimes I'm so fixated on, Lord, why? Why is this the way that it is? And he's like, I'm standing here. I'm standing here in the midst of it. Why are you asking him why? I'm, sta- I'm here. I'm trying to reveal myself to you. You're worried about why are things the way they are? I do this all the time. I can't believe that God is not so exasperated with us all the time. He's so merc- merciful. <laughs> Y'all better be glad I'm not a deity. Woo! I'd be like, smite it, you know? <laughs> don't want to notice me? Fine. <laughs> Poof, you know. But God is not like that. I know, I'm saying crazy things. I don't know. It was just an ordinary day till he saw that thing. And it was just like, why is this the way that it is? And I think that's so indicative of human nature. We want to focus on why things are the way they are in the natural stuff. And then out of this, Small phenomenon that didn't really seem spiritual, just seemed kind of weird, right? Then suddenly this voice, verse four, then the Lord saw that he turned aside to look and God called to him in the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. God is about to unveil himself to Moses. He's a big God, very complex being, lots of personality characteristics, And I love that of all the things he could have started with, he says, Moses, Moses. Because he's not just some big God that set the earth on its axis and spinned it and stepped back and went, you're welcome, bye. No, 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 he is right there and he knows your name and he knows your name and he knows my name because it's personal with him. He's personal, and he wants relationship before he wants your ministry. He wants your heart before he wants your action. He wants to know you. That's always what it's been about. He wants a relationship with us, and that's where he'll always start. Moses, Moses, you know when you say a name two times in that culture, in that Hebrew culture, it means because you're close, because you're intimate. That's why when Jesus is resurrected and he's at the tomb and Mary goes and and she like can't figure out who he is, he's like, Mary, Mary, it's me. We're like buddies. We know each other. We're intimate with each other. We're friends. And you'll notice a lot of the time when he calls his prophets, he says their name twice. Because it's got to be an intimate relationship. And he wants to know you intimately. He wants to know us intimately. Before anything else, before he wants to ask us to do something, he just wants us to know him. Sometimes we, get, we wanna do stuff for the Lord, but we don't wanna like know him. We know, we know that he is. He's like, I, everyone knows that I am. I wanna know who I am. And then he says to him, after he says his name, you know, he says, I am the God of your, I'm the God of the, of the past. I'm the God of your past. I've always been around, right? Have a relationship with your people. It's a long relationship. And and I find it so interesting that he hid his face in this moment, that he hid his face from the Lord. Because if you know the story of Moses, you know there's a day coming when he is going to hide his face from everybody else in the world and he's gonna go up on that mountain and take the veil off and he's gonna be real with the Lord. Their relationship is about to be so close. He's gonna be friends with the Lord. They're gonna have this really open relationship where he hides nothing from him. But right now, he's just barely getting to be introduced to him, and it's scary because he seems so big, and God is so reassuring, and he's like, I know you, I know you. It's okay, I care about you. The second thing that he says, as he reveals himself, he says in verse seven, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters for I am aware of their sufferings and so I have come down to deliver them. He is not only a God who is personal, he is a God who is present. He says, Moses, I know you've been really frustrated because you feel like nothing is happening with the people back home, and you feel like nothing is happening in your life, and you feel like I've forgotten about you, but let me assure you, I know every detail that's going on with everything. I'm omniscient, I'm omnipotent, I'm omnipresent. I got it all. I see what's happening. I see the concerns of your heart. And and let me just tell you, he feels this way about you too. I've seen your past, he says to you. I've seen your future. I know who you are. I know what frustrates you. I know what you're passionate about. I know what your giftings are. I know what you were created to do. I know you. I've been in every moment of your life. I was there at your birth. I will be there at the moment of your call. I will be there when you come home to me. I will be there. I am here, I'm present. I know all this and I know about the things that you feel like are outside of my control that I'm allowing that you think are so frustrating and you don't understand. I'm there too. I know. I see it all. And I'm I'm delivering. You know the word when it says when it says that God remembered his covenant with Abraham just a few verses back that word remember, you know, when we say oh I remembered, it means because oh I forgot. That's not what the word zakar in Hebrew means that says remembered here, that's not what that means. It means in a continual state of bringing something about because you remember it. God is always actively remembering who you are and what you're supposed to become, so he's orchestrating events in your life so that you will become the person that he's remembered he thought you into being. He's not forgotten, he's not absent, he's present. And that's what he says to Moses, I've seen it, I care about what's going on. I'm invested, he's invested in you and he's invested in me, he cares. Then he says to him, I've come to deliver, right? I've come to deliver, because why? Because I have the power to do it, because I know the correct moment to activate what I have created and he knew that those people were not ready until this moment, and he knew that Moses was not ready until this moment, and he's like, now you all are ready, and I'm gonna activate you, and we're gonna get this going. It's about to get started, because I'm powerful. God is powerful. He can make things happen. You feel like you, every day, are getting up and like hitting a wall? He's got the power you feel like you've been climbing and clawing in desperation, he's got the power. But you have to know him to get the power. You have to see him. You have to have that relationship with him, right? And then he goes on and he is going to continue to talk about who he is. He says, listen, I'm about to deliver you. You haven't haven't seen anything. I'm about to deliver your people, okay? And I'm gonna use you to do it. Yes, you are right. You are passionate about that for a reason because I need you to be and now I've been preparing you all this time and we're about to go get it done, okay? I'm doing that. But he said, listen, I'm gonna send you to do this. And and listen to Moses' question. First, he's like, why? Why is this bush the way that it is? Now he's like, "God, God, the moment he's been waiting for, right? He's like, I'm gonna send you, Moses. And his question, well, who am I? I mean, who are you? I mean, really, like God has just unveiled his existence and his personality to you, and you're like, well, I don't know who I am. And, and we do that, we wanna know who we are. This culture is so consumed with knowing, my, knowing myself, and what, why do I respond that way, and what can I do about it, and what was I made to do, and it's me, me, me. Even our worship songs a lot of the time are about me and how I feel and what you're gonna do for me, God. If you ever noticed that? We are in such a self-focused culture. You know how God responds to that? Moses says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he says, Certainly I will be with you. You don't need to worry about that. You need to worry about me. He doesn't even answer the question because that shouldn't be our pursuit. We shouldn't be trying to figure out why are things the way they are because that's just a distraction that ends frustrating. We shouldn't be trying to put all of our focus on who am I, who am I, who am I because we of ourselves will never get to the answer. He's like, if you want that answer, let me show you who I am. Why, because you were created in my image, first of all. You're never gonna get it unless you understand who I am. Why, because in me you live and move and have your being So you might wanna start here at the source and then you can begin to understand who you are and what you were made to do. But we wanna stop at me because if I know me, then I know how to worship you. He's like, no, you got it backwards. You're asking the wrong question. Find out who I am and then you'll see who you are because you'll see who you are in me. The identity is always wrapped up in who God is. And then he reveals his name and we haven't seen this in scripture. This is the first place where God says, here's my name. People have been calling him Elohim. People have been calling him El Shaddai. He's like, you know what, I'm gonna tell you my name because Moses is like, well, who are you? Okay, finally asking the right question. Who am I? Let me tell you who I am. This is what he says. I am. He says, I am who I am. You tell the sons of Israel, I am has sent you. Well, that's not helpful, right? What does that mean? We sing songs about it, right? What does that mean? What in the world? I am? You know, and then he gives him his actual formal name, which is you call it Yahweh. We sang a song about it tonight. Yahweh. It's they call it the Tetragrammaton. Okay, it's like Yud, Hey, Vav, and Hey. It's four letters. We have no idea how to pronounce it because it's Hebrew, and we are not. Okay, but we will make things. We try to make sounds out of it. So sometimes you'll hear it pronounced Jehovah, Yehovah, Yahweh, Yehovah. I mean, you know, these are all renditions of Yud Hey Vav Hey. <laughs> That's his name that we don't know how to pronounce. And it comes from the root, which is the same root of the I am that I am, that I am that I am. Actually, the word is haya, which I think is so cool. Like, yeah, you know he's got the power, right? I don't know. You'll never get that out of your head. Okay, so I am, it's like I am what I am, but it can also mean I will be what I will be. It can also mean I will cause to be what I will cause to be. And Yahweh, those four letters mean the existing one, right? So what in the world is God trying to tell us about who he is by telling us that his name is all wrapped up in to be, the verb to be, (laughs) You think love is a verb, God's name is a verb. It's all wrapped up in what he does. Who he is is revealed in what he does. That is why the cross of Jesus Christ is so important because it reveals who he is through what he does. He is the one, the source, the one who's becoming. Do you know everything on this earth, everything on this earth is becoming something. Mountains are becoming dirt we are also becoming that. We are always in a state of flux, right? Everything on this earth, God is the only thing in the created universe who is not becoming something, he is. He's achieved, he's arrived. He was, he is, he will be. He's not becoming anything, he already is. He's full, complete. So if we wanna be that way, why wouldn't we seek the one who's achieved that? He is the source, see? So he is established. He is the source. He is eternal. We get that from the name. He's the one who brings into existence. He is the architect. And he will take on any form that he has to take on in order to get done the job that he needs to get done. That's what the name I am is all about. That is what Yahweh is all about. It is about I will be whatever I gotta be to you because I love you. And we're gonna get it done. I got you. I think that if the Lord were here this evening, which I know he is, but if he were standing here in bodily form talking to you, I think he would say to you and to me the very same things that he said to Moses. I think he would say, I know your past. I know your present. I know the problem in front of you. I know the passions you have inside of you. I know where you're going. I'm aware of all of that stuff. And I will be whatever I gotta be to get you to the future that I have destined for you. What does that mean? That means you say, you know what? I need to be able to use my gifts and passions. And he's saying, I'm the one who gave them to you. Trust me. He says, I'm, I'm the one that can use your gifts and talents and passions. I'm the one that can heal your broken heart. I'm the I'm healer. That's what he would say to you. I'm the one that can f- fulfill your loneliness. I'm the one that sees you when you feel invisible because I see you. I am the glue. If i got to be the glue, I'll be the glue that holds you together throughout the day because you are falling apart and nobody knows it. I'll be the peace when you're in the middle of the chaos. I'll be the hope when no one else will speak that over your life. Whatever I I have to be for you, I will be for you, even if it means being on a bloody cross for you. I will be that. He says, I am that, I am, I am that, I am sufficient. I hope you're getting the theme here that he is sufficiency. Everything you will ever need in your entire life, no matter what you're going through, he says, I am that. I am what you need. I can take on any form I want because I made it all. I can fill any void. I can be anything. And I will be that for you because I see you and I care about what the concerns are of your life and your heart and I want to see you come to become what I've created you to be. I want to see you full of joy. I want to see you full of hope. I want to see you achieve greatness through me. I want to see all that for you. I created you for that. But you can't get there outside of me. You're trying to take... The way around, you're trying to find other, other sources. You can't do it. I'm the only one. I am, he says. I am, sufficient one. So when we say I am, when we sing songs like the great I am, I hope that forevermore it will take on a new meaning for you. You know, in this life, you know, we, we feel like, do you ever feel like you're just on fire all the time? Like everything is an emergency, everything is hard, everything hurts, everything is like amplified, ah, all of the time. Like you're in a rush everywhere that you go. Stress, 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 right? Depression, oppression, like all this stuff coming at you all the time, right? And you, then you gotta figure out what your life is all about and where you're going and who you are, ah, you know? I just feel like we're all just like running around like little lightning sparks, like ah, you know? I mean, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I'm just, but what? (laughs) But I think about that, that burning bush. (laughs) Why, why, you know, and I was like, of all the things in the world that God could have revealed himself as visibly, you know, why a bush? He could have been anything. He could have just been a man, right? You know, why did he? I always ask why, I wanna know why. And so I thought a lot about this. Why did he come as this little, this little ugly bush on fire, right? I think, I think, that here's I mean, theology according to Amanda, right? I think in this moment when Moses saw that little burning bush, God was showing him who he wanted him to be. He was showing him his identity right there in that moment, visibly. And I think it's supposed to be our call and our identity too because you see, everything in life feels like a big fire, all the time, emergent. You're burning on the inside because you have this passion and these giftings and these abilities and you wanna do stuff, you wanna do something awesome, ah, on fire, right? And then you have this stuff going on outside in your life, in your world, where you're like, this is really hard. I feel really alone here. This is really too much. I can't handle this, right? And if you don't know that the fire is the Shekinah glory burning off the goo in your life, burning off the waste, burning off the sin, burning off the things that aren't necessary to your call, if you don't understand I am who will allow things to be in your life in order to refine you to become the person that you're supposed to be, if you don't know that, God, then you will wither and you will crumble and you will not walk in victory. But if you know who I am is, if you know that even if this never happens for me, if you know even if that dream is lost to me, even if that relationship never comes, even if that ministry that I really want doesn't happen, Lord, even if then I will not be shaken, I will not be broken because I know who made me and I know he has a better dream and a better hope and a better future than the one that I envisioned for myself and we will walk and we will not be consumed. See, that little bush is supposed to be you and it's supposed to be me because life is really hard and passions are really strong, but they will consume us if we don't understand the comforter. And the reason for all of those things going on in our lives is because God is molding and shaping an identity out of you. And look at that, that bush, how beautiful, what a picture of ministry that is because that little bush that didn't burn out, it was a light in the darkness. That little bush that didn't burn out was warmth it was cold in the desert and it never went out and you know what it didn't look like it was supposed to look because it should have burned up right and sometimes you meet people and you see people in your life and you're like I know what they're going through they have cancer or they're really sick or they just lost someone why are they so joyful why are they okay right now like how are they walking in victory in this right now I would crumble and those are the people that are like, I will not be shaken because I know that this fire is I am. And I know that he is sufficient for me. I know him. So I can endure this because of what he's endured for me. And I will shine and I will bless others and be a light and warmth. I will be what I have to be because he will be what he will be for me. And you can be that little that little that little humble bush that's just burning on and on that, that somebody steps aside one day and says, what is with you, man? What's with the joy? What's with the victory in your life? I know that your life is hard, okay? So why are you happy all of the time? People might come to you like annoyed. What is that? And at that moment, just like when Moses turned aside because he wanted to know why that was the way it was, then in that moment, God Almighty will speak his beautiful words through your life and meet with somebody and change their world because you didn't break down and disintegrate in the tough stuff of your life because you were connected to God, because you know God, because you know him. You don't just know that he is, you know who he is and you can be comforting and you can be encouraging and you can be used by him. That's the identity that God would have for you, that you take all of your giftings and all of your abilities and all of your passions and that you would focus them in order to be a light, to be the warmth and to be a vessel that he can use to speak out of in order to have an encounter with the people around you. That is the identity that he has called you to. We are called to be the burning bushes in the wilderness of this life that is lost and broken and these people that have no hope that is your identity friends in Jesus that is your identity that is your purpose search no more all you have to do is say who are you God you show me who you are and he will and everything else will fall into, that, into place. You'll see every day there's purpose. Every day there's somebody that needs love. Every day there's somewhere you need to be that you're needed. And just like Jason Bourne found out that all of that stuff, all of the quest and the seeking, all of it was wrapped up in who his father was, who was the architect all along. Same thing with, with Jason Bourne, with Moses, with you and me, everything about who, we're, who we were, who we, are, who we are, who we're going to be, what we're going to achieve. If you are searching for that, friends, it is in I am. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna sing. We're gonna sing the great I am. And we're gonna celebrate who he is, that what we need he will be, because he is a good and loving father, because he is a strong conqueror, because he's a defender, because he sees us, because he's present and powerful and personal. We're gonna praise him for that, because he deserves that. So, I'm asking you if you know the Lord, if you've already had your moment in the wilderness, in the burning bush, if you've had that moment, I just ask you to respond by giving him your full attention and your full heart and responding. And if you haven't, then I would like for you to have an opportunity after this. I would like for you to have an opportunity to respond. There are people here who can help you understand what it means to be in a relationship with I am. There are people who can pray with you if you are really going through it and you need some support and you need to talk to him, but you can't even find the words right now. Sean is standing in the back. If you need prayer, if you wanna talk to somebody about knowing this great I am, please during this song, I ask that you go back there. Do not wait one more day wandering in the wilderness. Don't wait one more day to know what you were made to do. Don't wonder about it anymore. Go back there and talk to those people. Talk to Sean, talk to me, talk to Chad. And let us introduce you to I Am.